Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. We're doing all terrifying horror movies this season, whether they're horror movies or monster movies. Uh, Mike is the uh, official judge of those things. But this week, we're going to do The Wicker Man, the 1973, at one time, cult movie, which has gotten a lot of play, though, since then, directed by Robin Hardy. Mike has been trying to get me to see this movie forever, not vehemently, but every once in a while, Mike would express his disbelief that I had never seen it. So finally, since we're doing all scary movies for the pod, I decided to do it. My first question, Mike, is this. So my mother was wrong when she made me put a frog in my mouth when I had a sore throat? Absolutely. Uh, Let me just say this. We really don't talk about these movies before we record this podcast, if you're wondering. you can't see my apartment, but I have a bundle of kindling in the corner. And if Dan really did not like this movie, if this is going to be another Badlands type scenario, I'm about to light this on fire right now. Well, let me tell you about it. Okay. Can I give my reaction? Here we go. This movie is exhibit A of why all movies should have almost no marketing. Because when I went to watch it, Mike said, don't look anything up, don't read about it. And I, and I, and I always tell other people that when I, when I recommend a book or a movie I like, I say, don't read it, what's it about? I say, the less you know, the better. And I'm glad I didn't because the poster gives it away. Um, if I had seen that poster, it would have, it would have clicked in my head a lot earlier, and I, but I had no idea. So I think in the beginning it drew me in because I thought it was gonna be one kind of movie. By the end, it was a different kind of movie. Um, I was totally engaged at one point when, when um, when um, Edward Woodward breaks into the photographer's studio and starts looking for the negatives, the Amazon guy knocked on my door and I almost went to the ceiling like like um, like Joe Beth Williams in Poltergeist. <laughs> and it was always the Amazon guy. Um, but that was a scare from the external. I didn't think it was, I didn't think the movie was scary, but that's, that is not a criticism. I think it was a lot of other things. Um, and we could talk about that in part two, but I was really, really glad. I mean, I love the whole idea of, um, I thought the movie did a brilliant job of, of bringing in an outsider and you go with that outsider. It reminded me of Deliverance. And I love how he walks around in his inspectors, his police uniform all the time. You know, he's a shade away from like a John Cleese character on Mighty Python, like getting very angry. Like these potatoes come from a can. And and, uh, and all of those things like walking around with his briefcase, wherever he goes. I thought, you know, I'm going to lay down for half an hour. I do not want to be disturbed. I can't do my Scottish accent. But that was my take. We could talk about the ending a little later. I have a great moment. But Mike, what is your take? What draws you to this movie? Why did you recommend it so heartily? First of all, I can't believe you said deliverance because literally my notes say uh, deliverance. There's no, you know, it's the it's the only possible cultural analogy that you can find that that's mainstream. I'm so glad you like it, um, and I don't have to self-immolate in shame. Uh, Put that tindling away. I think. Look there's a lot of horrifying moments. And I think that when we look on our favorite horror movies, and I think that this is truly a horror movie, that when you look on your favorite horror movie, you remember the moment that scared you the most. And I'll just tell you mine. It's not my moment for the film. I'll just tell you the moment that I can't shake from this movie, which is when he's on his plane and it doesn't start. Yeah. He looks towards the wall and everybody's got the, either the the mask or or the deer masks on. Terrifying. The masks are so beautiful that I want to find Robin Hardy and shake his hand because there's so many ways that this could go wrong. Sometimes a movie suffers from too much budget. I love Alfred Hitchcock, but sometimes when Alfred Hitchcock wanted somebody to compose the score to a film, he had his pick of the litter. It was like Warner Brothers movie. He's going to pick who does it. 
and he's going to get their full and complete attention. But the music in this movie is so unbelievably creepy. Yeah. And it comes from not having the budget to buy anybody else's music. Yeah, it's not, it's funny because you could watch this movie and condescend to it. I'm sure people do about like the datedness of the music, but I thought the music was great because it's funny because when they started singing the, the landlord's daughter in the pub, I thought, well, that's kind of an amusing set piece. And there's something weird going on with, with her. But then all the, like, um, you know, and on this tree, there was a man. And on this man, there was a woman. And there was a podcast called Film Fanatics. And when that guy in the red shirt is singing the going around the Maypole, I thought to myself, oh my God, like this is so bizarre. You know it what it is? It only gets worse. It's, um, I don't know if you like any of the poetry of Randall Jarrell. Yeah. But it's just make making the familiar strange. Yeah. And you know what that you know what that song is? It's Santa Claus is coming to town as heard by an alien. It's, <laughs> you're like, there's this there's this guy and he like he knows when you're sleeping, you're awake, and he's gonna creep into your house and leave you know you leave you a present in the morning. Like no, thank. You. Where, where can right. I opt out of the Santa Claus thing? That's a that's exactly what that is. Yeah. It's, it's it does such a beautiful job of making the familiar strange and the yeah. strange familiar and by exactly like Dosta like a novel by Dostoevsky just taking something to its its logical extreme where it becomes absolutely absurd and but then backing out and making you understand how how it's relevant but there's so many great moments in this movie I, you, there are you, so many great things. And I love what you said about making the familiar strange because of course in hindsight, so if you go to the pagan island, but spoilers alert, by the way, everybody, if you haven't seen the movie, turn this off immediately and go watch it. Um, if you went to the island of the pagans, like what would they sell in the bakery? <laughs> it would look like all this stuff, right? And, the, and when you went to the pharmacy, the guy would have a jar labeled foreskins and another one labeled brains and things like that. But of course, the, the movie, the art of the movies, it draws you in so gradually to this, to this crazy world. So I'll, every moment in this movie qualifies as a great moment. I'll say one more thing, which is I've never seen a convincingly scary movie in which any of the phones work. <laughs> you know, you know, You're supposed so, to rattle them and say, I can't get a connection. Exactly. So there's something... I think every good horror movie has a theme, meaning it, it, it has its own diction, it, it has its own sound, it has its own look. Mm. You can't get better than a Scottish island. Yeah. If you can find a more fun word to pronounce in a Scottish accent than murder, uh, you got me. Because they say it like at least 13 times yeah. and always in a Scottish accent and just every single time is just a masterpiece. Is this Ron Morrison? Is this Ron Morrison, right? And I, and I go back to, I love what you said about sometimes a big budget because if, if you had an unlimited budget to make this, you'd have better spells. And, and like the actual Wicker Man would look better. But it looks, it, by the time you get to the Wicker Man, the movie looks great. And that, I love the fact- the Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I have, which I've never seen, I never will. But I mean, I love the fact that when those, when those masks come up over the wall when, when he's on the airplane, you, you can't read their expressions. It reminded me a lot of the, uh, the masks in Clockwork Orange. Like you can't read the expressions on the animals' faces and that's what makes them so horrifying. So, so I don't know how a movie gets to be creeped out by a man dressed as the salmon of knowledge but, but it's, in a parade, but it certainly did. It's his enthusiasm to be the salmon of knowledge that's so <laughs> creepy. All right, we'll talk about that in part two. 
Welcome back. So in part two, we like to talk about our key scenes or moments that are indicative of the themes of the film as a whole. Dan, you look like you're itching to go. I'm always itching to go. That, that's, that's my, that's my go-to itch. So my, my moment when I thought about this was the, my favorite thing in the movie, it wasn't the deepest moment, but it was just something that made me appreciate how smart um, Anthony Schaefer is, which by the way, how about a, how about a set of twins, right? You give birth to twins and they write this frenzy, Amadeus, Equus, I mean, you know, him and Peter, that's great. But my moment is when Edward Woodward is going around in his, 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 Python-esque self demanding to see after he sees the school register and he wants to see the death records because he's trying to find out what happened to, to the girl. And he asks the woman, may I see the, and I can't do the accents, I'm sorry. He's like, may I see the register of deaths, please? Put you in jail for obstruction. And she opens up the drawer and takes out the can of peaches, <laughs> puts it down, and then she gets the thing out. <clears throat> that made me laugh so much because it's so great of how they, the, the, the great pagans can't even get the crops to grow. And I thought that was great that she actually had the can in her drawers. I guess it's supposed to be a secret that they have to eat canned foods. Like what do you say, those canned potatoes and stuff. And I think that <clears throat> that's a great moment. And it actually is indicative of the movie because the whole movie is, is it works by giving you quick things where you say to yourself, wait a minute, did I, like, did I just see that? So since I, again, I had no idea what was going to happen in the movie. When he's walking around at the beginning and the first scene, he sees the people having like sex in the park. And I'm like, wait a minute, did he just see that? Like, is that, are they doing a thing there? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And then it's like the naked woman on the grave. And, and then he keeps walking and, and I'm like, wait, did he, did he say that? And the song about the landlord's daughter and the lesson in the schoolhouse when she's like, it's a phallic symbol. And I'm like, did she just say that? It's, so the whole movie, you kind of feel like him where you're given these quick glimpses of what's really going on on the island and you, you struggle to put them together and only at the, only towards the end of the movie can you really start to put them together. That was my moment. What about yours? I mean, I'm, I'm going to cheat and talk about not, not the real ending, but the ending where he sees the Wicker Man for the first time. Okay. Because I will tell you, if you asked me when I was maybe 16 or 17 what the greatest reveal in Western film was, I would say that the greatest reveal is the moment when uh, in Planet of the Apes, yeah. <laughs> our, our hero right. is riding on horseback with his, you finally uh, did it! You, you blew it up. You now, blew it up. The problem with that is that you have to endure with Charlton Heston through the entire through the entire movie in order to get that reveal. But I thought it was such a good. I thought it was such a great reveal. Mind blowing. He's, he's so he's so blunt. It, it is so great. But truly, the moment when our hero sees the Wicker Man for the first time. And he says, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus Christ. And he, he, he sees and he understands for the first time exactly what's going to happen. Because right. when, you're watching, when you're watching the movie diachronically, you think, okay, they might slit his throat. Maybe they're going to throw him overboard. Yeah. The, the actual import of the, of the Wicker Man has yet to become interesting, which leads to that brilliant final shot. Yeah. For no for no budget, that's almost as good as the match cut in Lawrence of Arabia. Almost <laughs> as good. because um, picture this, picture this. You you have to film that that enormous thing mm -hmm. collapsing at exactly the right moment. Yeah, it's not a fake sunset. There's no CGI sunset. Right. You have an actual prop, and you have the sunset. And you got to let it fire. You have to actually line everything up exactly correct. And the, but the moment of realization is 
maybe to go back to your point about people within movies being frightened is only the actual moment of real terror that I can point to. There's people that get agitated. There's right. people that when, when, the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. In a moment. <laughs> but that is a moment of existential dread. It is. Where it's not, let's go kill this clown. Something, something that that person has been standing for their entire life. If you like Jesus so much, guess what I have for you? I got a present, but I have to burn you at the stake first. Right. And th th there's that realization and on his face is written, no, I don't want that. Yeah. Which well, is really what should be written on a face. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, that's the, that's why earlier in the film, I think he's, he's, when he says his prayers, I love how he's praying in his pajamas while she's naked on the other side of the wall. Um, but when he's saying his prayers and he's remembering giving that, that uh, reading about communion, right? He's reading about, he's reading about the Eucharist. But this movie is also about a very different kind of communion because communion means coming together and he, he totally communes with the commune, right? So, I mean, I think that's why it's such a horrifying moment. And I love how you said there's the two endings because, because it was Anthony Schaefer and because I love Sleuth so much. I mean, I love that movie. I kept waiting for there to be a cool like detective twist to the movie. Like every time we show the picture, I'm like, either the girl doesn't exist. Or like, I'm like, what's the detective answer going to be? So then she runs out and I'm like, huh. That, and then she's like, oh, I did it just like you said. And I'm like, what? So he's, he gets to do his cool detective twist, but then he gets to do his existential thematic twist where it's kind of like, all right, if, if you believe in the 23rd Psalm, now's a good time to say it. We're going to pause here because we just want to tell you something. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. The first point is it's free. Yeah. Second, they have all the tools that you need to create, record, and edit your podcast right on your phone or your laptop. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places. You pick up sponsorships, you can make money from your podcast, and there's no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Always be closing, Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, welcome back. In part three, we like to talk about the title or our key takeaways of the film as a whole. Uh, the title's fairly obvious. Dan, you look like you're raring to go with something here on a, on a key takeaway. I'm always raring because you just reminded me of something is that Anthony Schaefer also wrote Frenzy, one of Hitchcock's later movies. And in that horrifying, horrifying scene in that film where the woman's getting raped by the, the necktie strangler, she recites the 23rd Psalm as well. So it's interesting. It's just an interesting connection with the writer in different films. I was going to say that, um, you know, like like you just expressed. I mean, the ending is truly horrifying. Christopher Lee is unbelievable. Um, when they're singing "Summer Is a Coming In," another great song in the movie, uh, done to horrifying effect. I never believed. See, what's funny? I never believed in the film for a second that the pagans had any power. I thought the movie was creepy, but I never, I never waited for like a spell to happen. I never waited for magic. They struck me as as threatening because they are crazy and they're homicidal and, and all these other things. Um, and even when you first meet Christopher Lee and he looks like a cross between, I thought like Austin Powers and Roger Daltrey with his ruffles at the piano and his crazy hair, you kind of laugh at him, but then you stop laughing for a while. And when he dresses up as the, the man woman and things like that. So I think that, um, you know, people tell you, I'm sure will look at this movie and say, well, it's really about conflicting ideas about faith and who's to say which faith is right and which faith is wrong. And no, I think I think at the end you're filled with dread because he, he sacrificed for nothing and that the crops aren't going to grow and that and that it's a horrifying, horrifying ending where um, 
where somebody who is is very proud of himself for being a virgin, for being pure, maybe not proud of himself, he's not a jerk or anything, but who wants to be put to that test? You know, not I, and he is put to that test. And what's fascinating is that the film, he gets put to the test and then it's over. Like, like we've been trained to think like, well, when's the next police plane gonna come and, and hook him out of the Wicker Man? And the Wicker Man collapses and the credits come on. And you are filled with such a sense of, of emptiness and horror at those credits that I think that it does something that only movies can do. I agree with you, especially when they recite all the reasons why he's the correct choice. Oh, per, of your own, you came here of your own volition. You came of your own free will. Yeah. Came with the power of a king and you came as a virgin as a and virgin. you came to school. And the whole time, every single instance of them just being overly pagan um, seemed funny to me, uh -huh. except that the movie is giving you secret hints about how to read this that only are comprehensible after, it, I think it's only 90 minutes. It's, it's in yeah. and it's out. So after 90 minutes of this, then their entire way of looking at him because becomes comprehensible. Yes. And again, to your point, you think that you're in a detective picture where the vision is of the person solving a crime, but the vision being built is how to see him the correct way as the perfect sacrifice. Yeah. And you go, huh. And there's no way for him, you know that there's no way for him to escape, but for some reason, I don't know why this is, but for some reason when he's in there and he looks and there's the box and the arm that has the ducks in it and the yeah. ducks are flapping and they can't get out. The whole thing becomes a 10 times scarier. I don't know why that is. I'm not offering any analysis. I'm just saying that my, if you ask me my key takeaway, what do you remember about the Wicker Man? I think of a man knowing that he's about to die, who's given up screaming at the people outside and is only speaking inside now, looking at the ducks trying to get away and they can't get away. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's one of the most convincing moments before death in a movie I've ever seen because characters in movies die all the time. And that's, you know, characters die. That's what we're here for. Like uh, he says in Full Metal Jacket about the Marines. But I mean, to, 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 and it goes on for so long. I mean, maybe, maybe it's, I don't know, for all I know, it's 50 seconds or something. But when he hears that pig squealing and sees the ducks are flapping around and, and that abstraction that one day I will, I will hope to join my savior in heaven, when that abstraction becomes immediate, and you are there with him, as close to him as you can get from the from the comfort of watching this on Amazon. I think that's that's a miracle that that happens in a movie in ninety minutes in and out. It's just one argument against big budgets. That's that's all I can yeah. say. This yeah. movie is truly a low budget miracle. If you've ever watched something like the Blair Witch Project, but sure. not been totally convinced by the Blair Witch Project, and you're like, they're onto something, but they didn't necessarily hit the nail on the head. I urge you to go out and rent The Wicker Man today. And that is a movie that hits the nail on the head. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we said we're going to watch Alien soon. And he reminded me, you know, Alien is a better movie than Aliens. Because Aliens has many more monsters and a much bigger budget, but Alien's a better movie. I, and this, this is just the kind of movie that makes you really question or think about what you think. Yeah. What do you believe and why? And, and that's very different than a monster movie. It, it is coming for you and you're just trapped and there's no way to get away. And so you better have everything so that you, you have to have your ducks in a cage in a row. Cause it's coming like a thief in the night. All right, great pick, Mike. Thanks for making me watch this. 
All right, looking forward to Alien next time. Please give us a like or subscribe. Tell us what you think of the podcast. And certainly for the month of October, let us know what movies you want us to review. We're going to keep doing scary movies as long as we could stay up at night. Thanks for See you listening. next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.